Uh, why don't you um, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and uh, be ready to turn to Matthew in a second. And also you can pull out your notes, look something like this. And um, we'll be looking at that this morning. Uh, those of you who've been to parent college uh, have learned some sayings that uh, all parents must know. And before they graduate, they have to be able to know these well from memory. So um, I'm just going to kind of take you back to parent college graduation day for a second and see if you can help me out with these. Um, Here's one. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That's right. So let's close in prayer. Um, Just kidding. There's really kind of just a tons of these. You know, keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, we know that one. Um, anyone remember uh, cruising for a bruising? Did you ever hear that, or is that just me? Okay, yeah, other people are nodding. You're tracking with me. Um, we we had we had um, because I was raised in a couple different households. My parents were divorced growing up. Uh, I had I had some biblically tinged ones, like the first shall be last. You know, so four boys at meal times. Pretty much there was a lot of jockeying for first place. You know, and mom would pipe in, the first shall be last. We're like. You know, because we knew that if we tried to shove in first, we'd be the last to eat and all that. Um, For me, just the era I grew up in, um, kids are starving in Ethiopia. Um, That was more, you know, unique to that season and time. But that had to do with, you know, if there was food issues or whatever else going on. You guys could probably nail your own. Um, But this morning, here's another one. How about this? Do unto others. Okay. Now, um, hopefully, we're called Neighborhood Bible Church. We can differentiate between, um, you know, kind of a neat axiom that, you know, Roosevelt came up with and something Jesus said. Um, The last one we just did is biblical. Okay, we're going to look at that. And it sometimes is is referred to as the golden rule. Now, some some clever fellow decided to put a poster together. You can go search this online and find it if you so desire. But he decided to show that... um, that the golden rule is really found in, in almost every world religion. And so he kind of made this poster and he kind of showed these different things and who said it and where it is in their holy literature or, or whatever it is. And um, really all of these, if you read, it kind of goes through uh, you know, Buddhism and Islam and all these different things. The only one that's a little bit hazy is the native spirituality, which basically ties in our life to how well we care for the earth. It's kind of a stretch, but the other ones pretty much, pretty much kind of fit. Um, and and the, the driving point of this poster is this. All religions teach the same thing. Now, when I hear all religions teach the same thing, I immediately think, well, that's demonic. Because that's saying that all paths lead to life. And that's just not true. And, I, and so, I, so I hear that. I kind of react to that. Um, and and here's, here's where it goes wrong. It goes wrong in probably many more areas than this. But the thesis is completely flawed because of this. The passage we're going to look at today... Is, um, is Jesus telling us the first and greatest command. Remember, he was asked about this. We talked about this last week a little bit. What is the first and greatest command? Just call it out. Love the Lord your God, right? So there it is. And then he says this, and the second is like it. What's the second greatest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're looking at Matthew 22 this morning. In Matthew uh, 7, he kind of sums it up a little bit more concise. But, but we're going to look at these, these two greatest commands. Now, when you separate out love your neighbors from love God, then, then, you can, then you can slap it on a poster and say everyone says the same thing. Now, Christianity isn't unique in saying that you're also to love God, right? Other world religions would say exactly the same thing. 
But to, but to divorce those two commands leads you into all kinds of trouble. The second thing is this. No one is saved, according to the Bible, no one is saved by loving your neighbor. No one is saved by keeping the golden rule. And that is a massive, sweeping difference about Christianity. So I look at the golden rule and the fact that, that all of these, um, you know, that all of these religions kind of have it. And, and, and could it be this, that all religions possessing the golden rule doesn't mean that they're all the same or they teach basically the same thing. But maybe they all have the same creator and imprinted on our heart is this idea that we know this is the right thing to do. We know that we should treat other people the way that we treat ourselves. But as we're going to kind of unpack this morning, um, I don't think we're really doing so hot. Now, here's kind of a, I looked up a couple of quotes. Mark Twain had almost a pharisaical, the, the Pharisees aren't really represented, Judaism is, but, 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 but here's, a, here's a pharisaical idea on the golden rule. Here's, here it is, do something every day that you don't want to do. This is the golden rule for acquiring the habit of doing your duty without pain. I, I heard that, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what a Pharisee would do, like, I know I have to do these good things, so I'm just going to do something I hate every day so I can have a pain tolerance for, 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 for doing that. Some people go through their whole church life like that. And you go to try to share Jesus with them, they're like, oh no, I've, I've already do the church thing. Yeah, I've built up quite a tolerance. You know, I can't stand it, but I'm pretty good at it. It's like, oh, well, bless you, brother. You know, good luck with that. Um, and then here's George Bernard Shaw, kind of the atheist view, view of this is, the golden rule is that there are no golden rules. You know, that's just someone saying there are no golden rules and I can do what I want. I want you just to listen for a, for a second. You don't need to turn there. You can write it down if you'd like. Romans chapter 2 says this. And I want you to listen for, as I read this passage, I want you to listen for the golden rule, and I want you to listen for who is justified. Okay? Here's Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 13, or starting in verse 12. It says this. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. There's the golden rule, right? Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing now even defending them. This will take place on the day when, God's, when, when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed in the law, if you are convicted... That you are a, or if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Here's why I read that passage. I know it's pretty heavy, like a lot there passage to say, let's get started. But here's why I brought that up early on is this. 
our dilemma is not in knowing the law, but in keeping the law. Isn't that true? That's the dilemma all along. Those who don't have the law, those who are Gentiles and weren't given the Ten Commandments, weren't given divine revelation, weren't called God's special people, they have the law written on their hearts. Their consciences are, are condemning them by what they do. Those who have the law are shown God's way, are, are shown these different things, they can't keep it. So, so whether, you are, whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you have the law or don't have the law, whether you say there's rules or no golden rules, the dilemma is the same. There's a massive problem that kind of confronts you, and that is this, that you are exposed as being in, in real trouble. And it's not because you don't know the law. It's not because we don't know the right thing to do. It's because we can't keep doing the right thing. Try as we might, and we do try. We need more than a moral compass. What we need is a Savior. So people sometimes are wanting to hand out a moral compass. I need a good moral compass. You talk about the Bible, that's a good moral compass. You know, what a good, you know what a moral compass is to someone who's dying? It's, an, it's a terrible place to put your hope. Because you look at your moral compass, and all it does is it keeps showing you that you're going the wrong way. And that's a, that's a terrible thing to hand a, a, a dying person. is just a moral compass. And that's what some people want, is they want, give me just some ethics. I know as a parent, instinctively, I should be passing something on to my kids. I don't want them to turn out like me. I should be giving them ethics or whatever. And people didn't do that for me. And I want to do that for them. So give me some kind of a moral compass. Well, if you give them the law, all you do is you keep pointing them. And, and, and as they look at it, they just keep realizing, man, I can't, I can't ever keep this thing on the straight and narrow. <clears throat> Let me review a little bit. We're in a series called Demanding right now. And, and the, the, the giant overarching thrust of it is this. What does God demand of us? There's a ton of things we could look at in the Bible. But one of the utmost things that he says, no, this you must do. And, and what's, what's of first importance? And so we're, we're looking at some different things. We've spent weeks and weeks um, really starting with our relationship with God and what it looks like to, to be a Christian. The very starting point, because I love you and I, I'm going to keep coming back to this, was you must be born again. Remember that? And we talked about believing. And we talked about repenting. And we talked about following. And these are foundational, and we'll keep coming back to those. You'll keep hearing that same thing woven into almost every single message. Because I never want it to be that we're thinking the Christian life is demanding, but if I can just measure up to all these demands, I'll be in. I'll be good. I'll receive God's grace. I'll be in, 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 his, in His good mercy. No, no, no. The starting point of all of this was you must be born again. You must be regenerated now, last week we talked about loving like Jesus. We just made a shift last week of saying, here are some demands made on you and your walk with God, in your relationship with God. These are internal fruits. These are things going on between you and the Lord. And now we're going to shift the lens a little bit and say, what does God demand for, for His community of, of disciples? How are we to live in, in community? Are there things the Scriptures say? No, no, no. As a community, this is what sets you apart. This is how you're to live one with another. Or do we just get to kind of make up the rules? He says it's you and God and then you can live however you want. No, He gives tons of clear commands for us to follow. So if you look at this whole idea of loving like Jesus, as we introduced how to relate to one another and what it looks like to love your neighbor, we had to start with Jesus as the perfect example. And kind of just two quick things. One is this, that, that Jesus provided a path for us to follow, right? 
So as you, as you wonder, how do I interact with different kinds of people? Stay in the Gospels. Jesus is interacting with all kinds of different people. Model Him in how He does it. How does He live with His friends? How does He celebrate with those who are celebrating? How does He come along and weep with those who are weeping? How confrontational is He? When does He, when does he bring things to a point? And when does He kind of go off into a story? How does He, how does he communicate kingdom truth? All of that is, is wrapped up in that. More than that, he, he kind of summarizes it this way. John fifteen twelve says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Here's a path to follow. Ready? Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And of course, Jesus would do that. All through his life, he was laying his life down, right? He came to not be served, but to serve. And then it wasn't just metaphorical. He went and died on behalf of his friends. He went and died on behalf of all uh, the world. So one is a path for us to follow. And again, if you leave it there, we're, we're kind of the golden rule. And Jesus is just our poster boy, but there's other poster boys for the religions. And so you look at that and say, well, yeah, this does sound kind of like a lot of different religions. And here's, here's the second thing. And in fact, the more important thing, and that is this, that Jesus not only provides a path for us to follow, but, but he provided the, the, the purchase of a new heart to be able to love. And um, there it is. It's coming up now. Uh, let me just read Ezekiel 36:26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your, from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to, to keep my commands. So not only does Jesus just provide us a path, and 2,000 years later we're supposed to just kind of follow the holy teachings... <clears throat> And get together with other people and discuss the holy teachings and try to follow Jesus as best we can. But he says this. Remember, remember what he said about leaving his disciples? Why did he say it would be better if he went away from his disciples? So the Holy Spirit could come. There's, there, there's someone coming after me that's going to be superior to me being with you. Remember we, we, we covered all this in John. He says, he says it's better because... Um, can, can Jesus fit in, in his body be, be with us at all times in all countries and all places? No. He limited himself. But the Holy Spirit now comes and resides in us. And it's the Spirit of Christ that's with us in all circumstances. Will guide us into all truth. Will be our comfort and our helper. And so it's good that he went away so that could be provided. Hebrews 10.19 points out that there is a new and living way that is open for us by his body. And that's what we're celebrating uh, really every week. But that's what pointedly we're going to be celebrating here at Easter time very shortly. Think about this. The golden rule turns to worthless pyrite without the God of the Bible's indwelling spirit. If it's just a path for us to follow, you know what it is? It's fool's gold. We can think we're following the golden rule, but it ends up really being kind of a taskmaster, doesn't it? Because if you know the golden rule, you're exposed by it. Because in your heart of hearts, you lay there and go, man, I'm not keeping the golden rule. I'm holding back and I know it. Matthew chapter 22. Let's, uh, let's start there this morning. And in Matthew 22, Jesus, we touched on this a tiny bit last week. <clears throat> but Jesus is approached. Uh, down in verse uh, verse 49 is where is where we're going to actually we'll we'll start in verse uh, verse 37. Jesus is, a, is approached by an expert in the law and he's he's coming to test Jesus. 
he's coming to test this um, this kind of renegade teacher. And he asks him, what, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Okay. Verse uh, 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God <coughs> with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. <clears throat> so this morning we want to talk about this a little bit. Love your neighbor. What does it look like to love your neighbor? Now you remember from somewhere else, not in this passage, but elsewhere, and, and, and we will be tempted to do this exact same thing. Any, try to clar- any trying to clarify who is my neighbor, what it does is that exposes this, this root sin that, that is there. Because any trying to clarify who is my neighbor means you want the scope that's here to be limited to here. Why? So you can manage it. And so you can live up to it. And there was another place where someone came and said, well, who's, who's my neighbor? And it, and it revealed this, this self-justification. I mean, how far do I have to go with this? I mean, is the whole world my neighbor? Am I supposed to love people right now in, you know, Thailand? I mean, there's only so much of me to go around. So he tells the story of, um, of, a, of a parable. What's the, what's the parable he tells there? Do you remember? The Good Samaritan. Yeah. So, so Jesus launches into a story. That's how he decides he's going to answer this question. And instead of answering the question, he totally flips things completely around. Here's what he does. He changes the question. So no longer is he asking, is this beat up guy in the ditch my neighbor? But he says this, who is the neighbor to the guy in the ditch? Right? Who is going to be the neighbor to that person? Who is going to have a heart of compassion that will come and minister to the neighbor? Totally flips it around. That's found in Luke chapter 10. The other thing he does, just briefly, is this. He takes the word neighbor and he extends it outside of, the, of this covenant Israelite community. And he starts to do this. He starts to just lift the lid on neighbor and says, you know what? The, the scope of neighbor, neighbor is broader than, than you could possibly imagine. It's anyone that you come across who's in need. That's who your neighbor is. And, and that's what he does with that story. So when we say love your neighbor, that's what we're talking about. Now, does that include... Your next door neighbor? I sure hope so. I sure hope you come in contact with your next door neighbor. Um, at an even more intimate level, does that include people in your family? Absolutely. Uh, does that include? So you can kind of you can kind of start to work this way out and say, well, yeah, this does include. It's it's very inclusive in that sense. Now, as you, as you hear the word love your neighbor, here's what you might be able to get away with thinking is this. You know what? Loving your neighbor is really, 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 really hard, but I think I can still even do that. I think if Jesus left it at love your neighbor, I think we could still do that. Here's what I'm saying. Here's, here's why I think that's true. If I were to say to you right now, I want you, church, collectively, we need to just be frugal. Can we just be frugal? And you all say, sure, we'll be frugal. Now, if we just closed in prayer and left, here's what, here's what would happen. Is the Nemics would take their level of what being frugal is all about, and they would say, we already think we're pretty frugal, we're pretty frugal people, um, so we'll just bring it down a little notch. And now we're really being frugal. Um, I'm not going to point them out, but there might be someone else here who's just extravagantly living. They're like, yeah, that's kind of a weak area for me. I better just bring it down some. I'm going to live frugal. 
You see what I'm saying? Can't we make our own law at that point? And we can kind of, we can kind of go do as, as we think. Now, love your neighbor is, is a little bit like that. Love your neighbor. And if you go up and talk to ten people on the street, I would venture to guess ten people on the street would say, yeah, I love my neighbor. They're not mentioning the neighbor on the right who they can't stand and they've been in conflict with for two and a half years, but they'll talk about the neighbor on their left, right? Like, yeah, I do this, this, and that. I brought their trash in like back in May of 06. I mean, I'm there. I'm totally there for that neighbor. And they've, they've loved their neighbor. And Jesus levels this by saying this. I want you to love your neighbor, and then he says this, as yourself. And that's the, that's the part that's devastating. That's the part that if you really start to chew on this and you really start to meditate on what this is, you see why it's one of the great commandments. You say, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of a sudden, you're undone. All of a sudden, that every single person in this room is exposed on that level. You notice what's not commanded in this passage, in fact, you won't find it really in Scripture, is to love yourself. There's not a command here that says, Jesus saying, I want you to love yourself. Now, haven't you heard this logic before? Basically, that says, you love yourself, and then you can love other people. And that sounds really, really good, and we like that, and it's pretty self-stroking. But the problem with that is, I mean, how long do you look in the mirror and say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You know I mean? You could do that over and over and over, and you're like, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not going to reach out quite yet. I don't love myself quite enough yet. So let me just keep going. Here's what it is. It's not commanded. It's assumed. It's assumed that you love yourself. It's assumed that you're going to take care of yourself. It's assumed that you're going to diminish pain in your life and try to increase happiness in your life. I think I put a quote in your, in your handout. You can follow along. It's by Pascal. And he says this. I think he says this correctly and quite eloquently. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. This desire for happiness, this desire to care for themselves. Now, here's what's interesting about this room full of people. I don't, know how, well, I don't know what the percentages would be, but we could almost probably split this down the middle. And on one half of the room, they would look in the mirror and they'd say, I am good enough. I am smart enough. And doggone it, people really do like me. And, and, and they're, they're comfortable with themselves. And that may be to a totally unhealthy extreme or maybe to a really healthy extreme. And then there's another half of the people, again, I don't know the percentages, that would be on this side. And they would look in that mirror and they'd say, man... I'll never be good enough. I'll never be smart enough. And I wonder if anyone really, really likes me. And they're down on themselves. And we call it low self-esteem. And it's, and it's there and it's real. Now, here's the thing. I think some people in this room, when I just said it's assumed that you will love yourself, you already let yourself off the hook. You're like, well, not me. I hate myself. You know what? Low self-esteem and a puffed-up self-image are just kind of two sides of the same coin. It's pride. Isn't it thinking about yourself? It's, it's different expressions of it. One is, I'm going to have tons of bravado, and, and I'm totally full of myself, and I'm pretty convinced that I'm pretty awesome. And it's all about me. And the other person over here is like, woe is me, and can we talk about this? Because I don't feel good about it, and I need some compliments, so I'm going to go fishing from you. I'm pretty terrible. I'm the worst person you've ever met, aren't I? 
And the person's like, eh. no, not the worst. You're like, yeah, there's a compliment. I'll take that. But who's the focus? Me and me. Me and me. It's pride, right? It's, it's feeding yourself. It's, it's this idea of some going to war because they love it and some avoiding it at all costs. But, it's, but, it, but it all kind of comes back to loving yourself. That's why loving yourself is not commanded. It's assumed that you will. Now, there's a healthy self-love, and I'm not, we're not going to get into all of what we're talking about here, but, but I want you to notice what's absent, and that is the command to love. What is commanded... By the way, before we move off this, this is just classic. I thought about the idea of fundraising. Now, here's what's interesting about fundraising is... Um, you know, anyone who's trying to raise funds for anything is approaching you and asking for money. They're saying, hey, I want, I want you to give money to this. And, um, and people have figured out long ago, I'm sure, but this is how it shows up in my school, for instance. Once in a while, we have, I don't even know what they call them, really, but they're, they're fundraisers that you go eat out at a restaurant, and a certain percentage of that goes toward that thing, right? So, I mean, here's the way the conversation goes is, you know, you're at home, and you're like, you know, honey, let's, um, let's just go out to Outback tonight. For the children, you know. I'm for education, for the sake of education. Can we go out to eat? I need a blooming onion, you know. And, and so what, what fundraisers figured out was this. Just asking you for your money is like, no, I'm partying with my money. But if we say, hey, there's something in it for you. You know, you get to go eat out in the name of giving money. They're like, you know. And TV preachers have figured out this, you know. Give today, you'll get a blessed brooch, you know, a praise pen, whatever. You'll get something back. And they're like, yes, I want something. And fundraisers have figured out if you can feed that, if you can give, if you can give them while they're giving, that, that's because we love ourselves. That's what that is. Now, I'm not even knocking that. Maybe you're running a fundraiser like that. I think it's a pretty brilliant scheme, actually. It's just, just kind of pulling in the same direction as the flesh is already bent to go. Here's what is commanded. Love others as yourself. That's not assumed. You catch that? You don't command your kids to do things they're already normally going to do. You keep your room messy. You know, I'm sick of the cleanliness. You know, uh, I mean, if, if your kid has a bent this way, you're not going to command them to do it. You're going to assume they're going to do it. But, but what's commanded is love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's not assumed that you are going to do that. In fact, the assumption is quite the opposite. Now, as I'm talking here, this is an uncomfortable topic, and there's a certain vibe you can get on different Sundays, and there's a vibe going, we're a little uncomfortable with this. Now, let me just throw this out to you. Why, why does this make us uneasy to love our neighbor as ourselves? I want to hear real answers, so, so fire them back. Why does this make... Now, this is hypothetically. This is when you give an answer, it's not you. It's your friend or you know of someone. So this isn't you. I'm just, you know of a guy that knew a guy that might think this. So that's, that's where we're at. We're not talking about you. I mean, no one here struggles. So why does this make, make us uneasy? Absolutely. Yeah. That is frightening. That is scary. What else? Mm. Just differences. Yeah. Thanks, Joy. Uh huh. The whole thing. Demanding. Fear of rejection. What else? Yeah. Travis, failure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fear. 
Fear of rejection. I love it. All right. I'll repeat it for the podcast. Now we're getting honest. It's not just fear of rejection. It's like, what if they actually like me and want to like, be around me all the time? I don't want to love them that much. Yeah, that's, that's getting honest. What do you want to say, babe? Yeah, fear, fear of what you will be, of what you will be forced to. You'll, you'll create inner conflict once you put yourself in that position and just say, man, if that was me, if that was my kid, if that was my brother out there, man, I, I now have to take action or I have to just distract myself from that because that's too unsafe to go there. That's really hard. Get me another DVD. I mean, I want to watch something. I need to get my mind off this, right? Stephen, what, what, what were you going to say? Right. Yeah. Okay. So not only are they not deserving, but you know what? What do I have to give to them? Yeah. Am I the right person? Phil, what do you want to say? Mm. Mm. Praise God you're there, Phil. Yeah. (laughs) So this is hard, isn't it, Rich? Yeah, fair people are going to, yeah. You take up the servant's towel, you might get walked on. You might, you know, how far do you go with that? So here's, here's something I want to say to this, is as we, as we start to really engage with this and as we start to really think with this, here's, here's what I think Jesus does by giving us the first command, the first and greatest command, and the second is like it. The second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, you remove the as yourself and you're, you're, you're kind of off scot-free. You kind of love them more than the next neighbor, right? And you're, and you're good. But once you start loving your neighbor as yourself, you know what that does? It drives you back to the first commandment. It drives you back to this fountainhead of saying, I can't love my neighbor as myself. It's impossible. I mean, do you know my neighbor, God? I mean, it's impossible. I can't possibly. And so that, that drives you back to the first neighbor. Uh, John Piper has a book called Desiring God and I think his whole premise of this book is this idea. We look at this and we think if I really start to love my neighbor as myself, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to make a choice of love my neighbor as myself instead of loving myself. And isn't that a scary choice? Look at that go, man, that's a tough choice now. And I almost don't want to know the law so I don't have to be guilty of breaking it knowingly. I'd rather just kind of blissfully go on having a deep sense in my back of my mind that something's probably problematic. And, and John Piper's book, and I think he's absolutely dead on, is this. Jesus so found his fulfillment, so found his identity, so found his joy in pursuing the Father and in being in a love relationship with the Father that those two are never, ever in conflict. You know the best way to love yourself? drive straight into the heart of the Father. You go back to loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your wandering mind and all of your strength. And so, and so there's no longer a choice. Do I choose to serve God and kind of do what Mark Twain said and just do it anyway even though I don't want to? Or do I serve myself? 
and you look at that and you go, man, the absolute best thing for me is to pursue one and the same, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the abundant life. That's it. Now, I need two, uh, two volunteers. Jonathan, you're one. And um, Jose, I'm going to have you be the other one. That's how we do volunteers around here. Um, I need... <laughs> It always makes people nervous when the preacher brings a rope to the pulpit. But uh, in this case, we're good. You're going to hold that one end. And, um, and you're going to hold that other end. And why don't you go uh, about three steps that way and you go three steps this way. Um, this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to just listen. We're going we're gonna to just kind of hear uh, from the scriptures about what it means um, to to love your neighbor and how we're to treat your neighbor. Now, I picked you two guys because I happen to know you're both pretty strapping guys. Jose is over here. And, and what I want you to think of is this. I want you to think of, of Jose over here as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's just, you know, that's an inscription on his forehead or something, okay? And over here is Jonathan. And Jonathan's going to be loving your neighbor as yourself, Okay? So here we go. I need the first reader to stand up with the mic and read for me. Uh, Exodus 20:14. You shall not commit adultery. Okay. Not commit adultery. Uh, you guys hear that one before? Think about this. All Now this is going to get a little bit, you know, hold it up a little higher if you can. That's good. And you might need it close to your body at some point. Um, think about this. We're going to get into we're going to get into some sexuality areas later, but think about um, the fact that sexuality isn't just for, for your own protection from a loving God, but it's actually a way to love your neighbor by, by not committing adultery with them. It's neighbor protection. It's loving your neighbor. Number two. Uh, Romans 12:13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Okay. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. How do you move from, from um, hostility to hospitality? You need a new heart. You can do it for a season, but it gets really, really challenging. How are we doing? I want, you to, I want this to kind of stir in you. How are you doing with sharing with God's people who are in need? Number three. Versus Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other for everyone, and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Okay, the, the, the idea there, just overflowing and increasing. How's your love now as opposed to five years ago if you've been walking with the Lord that time? Is it on the increase? Or are you getting more and more cynical? Or is it just kind of stagnant? Or is it growing? Uh, next one. I forgot what number one. Four. James 2.1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man say, you sit there, or sit on the floor by my feet... Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with people? Okay. The whole idea there is, is partiality, right? And just one of the ways that we're to, to love our neighbors is to, is to not be partial. Uh, number five. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of opposition. Do not be conceited. Okay. Once again, harmony. Uh, number six. You guys doing okay? Right. Strong guy. James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world Okay, that's, a, that's the way we love our neighbor, isn't it? Our global neighbor and the whole thought of 
thinking outside just our own context. Next one. First Peter 1.22 Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. Man, doesn't that, that one I would just pinch? Love one another deeply from the heart. How are our relationships going? How are your relationships going? Next one. Exodus 10, uh, 20.12 Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, now that changes as an adult, right? It changes once you leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife, but it doesn't stop the command from honoring mom and dad. How are we doing with that? If the kids were in there, how are they doing with that? You kids who are, who are still in the home. That's part of loving your neighbor. Next one. James 3.9 With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness, God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. How are you loving your neighbor with your mouth? Not just in their presence, but maybe with your fingertips, huh? Or your thumbs, right? How are we doing with loving our neighbor with our tongue? Next one. Ephesians 4.2 Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. How's your, how's your forbearance? How are you being patient? Just in the home, all that. Now, I'm going to do this quick so these guys don't get too mad at me. Um, here, here's, here's what I want you to see on these two commands hang everything we just read on these two commands hang all of the Old Testament and the law you can just, just look at that and say this is the, the very heartbeat of what God has for us now let me just ask this what happens if one of these goes away right now I think none of us would come over to Jose and say well We're going to stop loving the Lord our God. But here's what I want you to look at. Drop that right now. Okay, just let go. Let go of it. Okay? I think you guys can both sit down. Thank you. Give them a hand, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know what I think? I think think not many people in the evangelical church would ever walk away from this one as thinking it's important or thinking it's optional. But how many of us in this room have viewed this as optional. How many of us have looked at this over here and said, I'll get around to that at some point, or I kind of do that already. And Jesus comes along and he, he elevates loving your neighbor as yourself to being that important, such that everything else hangs on these things. And to drop one or the other is devastating to the whole deal. this little snippet in here that he says that the, the, other, the other command is like it. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for this, but I just want to throw one out to you as to how loving your neighbor is like loving your God. Here's what I know is true from experience and from what the Bible teaches. That God is interested in our sanctification. Sanctification is a big fancy word for our growing in likeness of Him, our growing in holiness. And the whole axiom that's, you know, he's not as interested in our, in our happiness as our, as our holiness, right? So if we view life that way, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Now, loving the Lord your God involves your sanctification in this way. You keep coming up against God. You keep reading about God. And you have this constant picture of holiness. 
You have this constant picture of otherworldliness that you say, God is so different than me. It's not true, like some people say, that I can, I can just become divine if I work hard enough. He's untouchable. And then it floods you with grace. It floods you with humility to, to, to realize just how undeserving we are that we get roped in and get, get told to come grab a seat at the table of God as His, as his kids. And that grows us in holiness. The Bible leaves no option for you just going off and being a hermit and growing in holiness with the Lord. And literally, to the hell. To, to hell with everyone else. There's no room for that in Scripture. Because over here in loving your neighbors, guess what? Your sanctification is at stake. God is going to use your spouse, probably unlike any person in the whole world. Young people catch this. To grow you in holiness. Because you're with them all the time. Outside of that, your work relationships. Outside of that, your deadbeat uncle that you just can't stand. Outside of that, not this neighbor over here, but this one over here. Everyone's cool, but that one. Praise God for that one. God's growing you in your sanctification. And to, and to chuck either one of those, to, to kill, love your neighbor as yourself, because it's not convenient, is, it, it would be the same as walking away from this. It, it amounts to all of this. And by the way, lest anyone... Now, my wife, bless my wife... Um, these are clean clothes, so sorry, dear. But for the purpose of illustration, pretend they're worn and gross and stinky. Lest you think that, that somehow nailing these and saying, I am growing in my love, I'm being super forbearing for the most part. I am being hospitable, I'm sharing, I'm trying to watch my tongue. Lest you think any of what you're doing and this, this golden rule following is amounting to anything, here's what it amounts to. It amounts to if you just take all of this and it's just kind of like a, a pile of dirty laundry. It says the best of our rule keeping, the best of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Remember that one? Remember that verse? So lest we're talking about, man, if I can just nail some of these and I've got the first four pretty good, I'm going to work on those other six. Guess what? We've, I, just, I just threw out ten because that seemed like a very neat biblical number to do. We couldn't get through the Ten Commandments, that's for sure, without realizing the problem isn't knowing the law. The problem is being able to keep the law. I want to invite Greg up right now. And Greg Holskla, um, those who read today were mostly from Greg's uh, community group. And we'd like to highlight just kind of some of the things going on in our community groups. And Greg's got a story for you. I, I asked him to share a little bit about this, um, about basically how does it, how does it look to have a group of um, mostly younger people come together and try to love on each other and and, uh, and love their neighbor. So. Yeah, uh, my wife and I, we open up our house to, to young people, young adults, uh, college-aged, around on Thursdays, 7 p.m. So come come see me if you're interested in joining that and you're around that, that age group and free for that time. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to figure out... Our group comes together really as uh, just mutual support and encouragement. As, as a lot of people are serving already, some are in the junior high group serving, some uh, volunteer with the, the children's ministries at times, uh, helping with the facilities and things like that. And it's just serving. That's great. That you know, serving, serving the church. But one one particular example of just our group serving each other is 
And I was just thinking in the terms that you were, that you were sharing. Like, we, we love each other. Some of us go, yeah, I, I love the community. I love the fellowship. And so then one, one person in our group's like, well, I know I love that, and I love going to the group, so I want to make sure that somebody else can get there too. Mm-hmm. And so it's really the simple things, like picking them up and making sure they can get to a community group and then, like, taking them home or taking them out to coffee just so that they can fellowship with another believer and, and you know, talk about scriptures. And it's really giving up the time. And, and for me, that, that really resonated because I'm, I'm sort of a, a, I'm a time hawk. I take care of my time really carefully. Um, and that's the thing that I struggle being generous with. So when, you know, I heard this story in our community group, it was just awesome that, you know, they take their time out on a Sunday or some other day and just drive them out to a time where they go to another Bible study. And then it's great because in God's fullness of, of everything he does, then that person who is being generous is then a recipient, uh, a recipient of, of generosity, and uh, and somebody opened up their house for them to live in for a while, and that's just how God works in His love. That you know, as we shower out other people, God doesn't leave us behind; He showers love into our lives, and that's just uh, that's just what's been going on in our community group. And just glad to take a quick moment to share that. Thanks, Frank. Thanks a lot. Give it up for Greg. <clears throat> so. The moral really is if you're looking for a place to stay, start driving people to church and Bible study. And uh, no, isn't that what we want to do, though? We want to take that and normalize that. And that's not how it works. God just says, hey, for this person, that's how it's going to work out. For another person, uh, who said it? They're not going to appreciate it. They're going to go, look, you're la- you were late by two minutes. I mean, come on, I'm standing out here and you're thinking, dude, I've been in traffic for 15 minutes. Uh, a little appreciation. And, and, and that's how it can work. But... But this is our sanctification at stake. And if you think about it, this loving your neighbors is a, is a visible representation of what's going on with, with, with loving the Lord your God over here. It's the outward expression of what's going on. Let me fire off three very quick and easy, um, tangible things to kind of grab onto it. Say, I want to move forward in this. How do I do this? Let me just fire off a couple things. One is this. Move toward other people. Move toward other people. I don't mean move like, you know, move your, lo- your house. But what I mean is this. A lot of times people will do this. I was in youth ministry for a lot of years, and so a kid would come in and say, man, I'm totally, totally lonely in this youth group. This youth group's filled with cliques. And if you watch this person's body language, they walk in the room, and, and they go and they sit down. Now, usually someone who's this overt about it, sitting alone in the corner with a scowl on their face, Usually there's someone that's going to break that barrier and get over and find that. Because that's pretty visibly saying, I am alone in this place and need someone. Oftentimes, those ones actually get loved on. You know who doesn't as much? Those who kind of float in and kind of play a little game and sit, do their thing, and walk out and go, this place is so, no one loves each other. Let me just ask you, in the last six months, who have you moved toward? Not waiting for them to come to you. Not waiting for them. That puts you in control, doesn't it? Because then if they want to come and get coffee, you're like, coffee I can commit to. Dinner, not so much. I guard my time pretty tight. I'm pretty important. But I'll give them coffee. You moving towards another person takes the servant towel around your waist. And they get to say, eh, nope, not going to do it. And you're left going, okay. Move toward other people. Here's another one. Move toward those that you don't know. 
So not just move toward other people. There might be people in this room that you've seen and you're like, okay, I'm finally going to start taking the step to, you know, go get to know Jason or go get to know Les or, or you know, Stephen here says, I'm going to start to, to really start diving in and get to know Mackenzie and we're going to build a friendship. How about this? Move towards someone you flat out don't know at all. Here's how it looks oftentimes coming into church here is that you walk in and you talk with your little crew and you walk away feeling like, yeah, we're a pretty connected church. We're a pretty loving church. And there's someone in our midst every single week, I promise you, who got none of that. And it's, 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 it's the same thing as if you go out to eat and everyone's scarfing down and just going, this is the greatest restaurant ever. Isn't this so fun? And someone's sitting there with no food in, their, in front of their face and they're sipping water because it was free. And you're like, whoopee, let's do it next week. This is a hoot. And someone at that table's going, yeah, I think I'll take a path. Move towards someone you don't know. Here's a real practical uh, homework assignment today. For three minutes today, go speak to someone you don't know. I'm not saying you have to go on vacation and plan that out in the next you know, week or so. I'm saying move outside of yourself. And is it scary? Absolutely. Is it God's will? Absolutely. So move toward other people. Don't sit around waiting for them. And move out towards someone that you don't know. Take a risk. What did Jesus do? He left perfect union, perfect joy, perfect comfort for the benefit of others. Right? Here's the third one is be moved by God. We already kind of sang about this. We, we touched on this. The passage in Hebrews talks about being moved by God. So what I mean by that is this. Don't go out and love your neighbors because you want to earn God's favor. Don't go out and love your neighbors because I should really be doing something and something inside of me is telling me I'm not living up to the golden rule well enough. Religious nonsense. Don't do that. Be moved by God as you love the Lord your God. You know what He's going to tell you? Love other people. That one? Yes, that one. Are you sure? I'm positive. Now you're just being rebellious. Okay, and now you're faced with that choice again, aren't you? Be moved by God. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. Isn't that the story of the woman who was, who was thrown down in front of Jesus? Who's been forgiven little, loves little. We love because He first loved us. Do you see how you can't divorce these two commands? They, they, they just keep feeding off of one another. And you cannot camp out on one or the other. I want to invite the band to come on up. And I want you to look right now at our logo. Built into our logo is this idea of neighbor. And what it means to be a neighbor. And if you think about it, right in our core identity is what we've been commanded to do. We know that we're a church. We're a Bible church. We've got loving God down with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Built into our identity and our logo even is this command of neighbor. I want us to look at Neighborhood Bible Church's logo even a different way after today. And say, what does it mean to really love our neighbor? You know what the most loving thing you could offer or do for your neighbor Think about it this way. Those of you who are parents or one day hope to be parents, what's, what's the one thing you want most for your kid? Isn't it they grasp, understand the gospel, repent, believe, and follow? That's it. 
It's not a good car. It's not a clean lawn. It's not to take their mail in. Those, those fall in such secondary and third place, it's, it's ridiculous to even talk about them. For your kids, it's not even a good spouse. It's not even a good college. Because our hope is not in any of that. This is all temporal. So think about this. The most loving thing you could offer, the most loving thing you could do for the next person you meet as you walk out of here or before you walk out of here is to offer them the gospel. We're going to talk about that later on because that's clearly commanded in Scripture. So we'll leave some of that. Think about the beat-up guy from the Good Samaritan. Uh, Clink. Where's Clink? He's right here. He's an ER nurse. He comes across a guy beat up like in the Good Samaritan and he offers him gum. And that's just stupid. That's cruel. Now, the rest of you would go, man, I've got gum. I didn't even offer him gum. Clink's a pretty good guy. Clink's like, man, I bought this gum with my own money. I love gum. I'm giving him my own gum. Yeah, I get the benefit of his bad breath not being so bad, but I mean, it's stupid, right? It's, it's ridiculous. Here's some lip balm. I mean, that's not, that's not what it is. So sometimes I think in our loving our neighbor, I think we shoot so low. We go, man, we never share the gospel with them because that's way too risky. But we'll give them gum while they're laying in a ditch dying. That amounts now to cruelty and not some kind of a, of a love. Chew on that. Pardon the pun. What's the opposite of neighborhood Bible church? Here it is. What if we just, what if we just kind of decided we're going we're gonna to just kind of change our name? It's not advancing. Can you advance it for me? Uh, what if we just did this? Self-City Bible. We're like, let's just call it what it is. We're called Self-City Bible Church. And, and pretty much we're about, you know, us. And, um, yeah. Maybe we could, maybe we could get um, T-shirts. You know, we'd all wear these. They're like, oh, you're from that church. I mean, we would stand out, right? I love myself. So, so maybe what we should do is get teachers to say, I love myself, therefore I know how to love you. I know that I like to feel secure at night and not sleep wondering if I'm going to get jumped in the next two seconds. I know that I hate being freezing cold and shivering. And so, and so I'm going to extend that to, to my neighbor. I know what it feels like to have a rumbling stomach and to smell food and not be able to eat it yet. And so I'm going to care for that. I know what it's like to be rejected and unloved and go to bed sobbing because no one loves me. So therefore, I am going to provide friendship and family to someone who does not have it. Love your neighbor as yourself as continuously, as selflessly, as thoroughly as you care for your own self. That's the command that we're left with in Scripture. Do you see now why as we go to worship and we close this out with some singing, our, our, our faces should be on the ground in desperate need of God? Not puffed up like, oh, we're doing pretty decent. No, no, no. We're giving out God. We, we need God. The whole, the whole other side of demanding is, God, this is demanding. This is, this is impossible without a new spirit. Without a heart of compassion left on my own. I will never go outside. Even this little three-minute exercise of talking to someone I don't know, I won't do it. I know myself. God, please be gracious to me. Let's pray. Father, you've met us here and we thank you for that. Thank you for your word that so plainly lays out for us 
who we're to be and where we're to get our strength to walk in this life. God, we praise You right now. I hope that those of us who have trusted You with everything we are can think back to the good neighbor that took a risk to hurt us, that took a risk to be rejected by us, that took a risk to expose our own sinfulness and the wrath that's coming on sinners because they loved us so much. God, we need to grow as a church in loving our neighbors. God, we want to be seen as a church that supernaturally cares about other people. The extent and the scope of our care. And we want that to come from you. God, we actually praise you that we can't possibly do this on our own strength. And we want to commit this morning that we'll follow you and trust in you to enable us. In Jesus' name, amen.